Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. Welcome to the Inside Carolina post-game podcast. I am your host, Tommy Ashley. I am joined by Dewey Burke. Of course, we're sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyTShirt.com. Carolina, 75-63. Dewey, uh, your overall thoughts. My, my initial takeaway is Roy Williams likes to say, a win is a win. A win is a win. It's an ugly game, and we'll get into why why that was the case, but uh, definitely some bright spots. I thought Caleb was really good in the first half, especially. Um, I think he had nine, which we were struggling to score. We needed every one of those, especially when we got down double figures. Uh, I thought Mondo and Dayron were really active and, and Garrison played solid. And then obviously Kerwin kind of had his coming out party, making some shots for us. So um, not a pretty game, not a pretty win. Um, but Kentucky, even though they're struggling, they got, athletes in length for days and so it's not like it was some easy team to play against even though they're struggling and young they uh they still keep throwing athletes in size at you and I thought we handled that well you know statistically it was kind of a funny game I was looking at the overall team stats you know we we lost the rebounding margin we didn't shoot more free throws or I guess we made the same amount of free throws as them we didn't shoot the ball particularly well from the field uh, we, like I said, we didn't dominate the glass. The one thing we did a lot better than we have is take better care of the ball. We take better care of the ball and you get more shots. You have the ability to rebound the ball offensively, put the ball back in. And you saw late a couple of big offensive rebounds and putbacks that ultimately were the difference. Yeah, that was a, a key takeaway there. The cut down turnovers, like you said, and then when Kentucky had a little bit of foul trouble there at the end or a lot of foul trouble, um, and, and we can discuss why. Carolina was able to take over inside, finish with 15 offensive rebounds and 18 second-chance points, and there's your game there in the second half. Uh, let, let's talk about – and this is something I don't do, and I know you don't like it, but, you know, Carolina and Kentucky are playing a basketball game, two of the great programs in the history of the sport. And I feel like my ears are still whistling. I, I mean, I just do not understand the point of that type of officiating, do we? It, it, I, Call a foul if it affects the play. If it doesn't, let it go. Good gracious, man. What were you, what were you thinking watching it? I mean, it's crazy. So, 40-minute game, right? Everybody knows, 40-minute game, 55 fouls. 55 fouls. I mean, for there to be even 40 fouls is insane. For there to be more than one a minute, let alone – I mean, it was every single possession that felt like there was a whistle – on both teams. I, and I don't think it was, you know, Kentucky, I'm sure will say it was, it was unfair their way because all their bigs fouled out, but every possession there was a foul and, you know, they had 30 fouls, we had 25. So it wasn't that imbalanced. It's just, there was no flow at all. And it kept getting worse in the second half. I felt like every possession, both teams were in the bonus. I think when I looked with like 14 minutes to go, it's, you know, there's just no way for a game to have any flow, especially with so many young kids on the floor. We're just trying to figure things out. Oh, yeah, it's a brutal game. Stop, start. And it's unfortunate when the stripes are so involved, but they really were. Yeah, and, and to your point, it wasn't, it wasn't one-sided. I mean, it was all over the place. And this is why I mentioned it. 34 fouls called in the second half. 34 fouls called in the second half. 20 of those on Kentucky trying to foul late or whatever they were doing. That is, that's ridiculous. They, college basketball has got to clean that up. You know, the, the game has been ugly at times. The players, um, 
you know, it doesn't seem to be as good a quality basketball, but when you add that kind of stuff in, it makes for a rough watch. And I know it makes for a rough uh, play, especially for young guys, you know, trying to get into a flow of a ball game. Um, so let's, let's talk about that, what I texted you during the game. Uh, a lot of people have been concerned about Carolina's slow start. So what happened again? Uh, Sherelle McMillan and Sean Moran and Joey Powell talked about it on the Inside Carolina Coast to Coast podcast. Um, it's not just a one-off thing. It's been every game. Um, that being said, your thoughts on why the slow starts and if maybe switching up the starting lineup would be something that could maybe kickstart Carolina. Because it feels like, why, especially today, when the starters come out or, or when the substitution starts, that's when Carolina gets some, some sort of rhythm going. Yeah. I don't know the answer as to why that would continually happen. I mean, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't really make any sense, especially with, you know, how much, because there's less games this year than in a normal year. So how much these guys are practicing, like, Practice doesn't suck, but it's it's not the greatest thing that you have to go through because it's so physically demanding at the pace we play at. So, like, it's just a weird thing. Like you finally get to the game. It's like, oh, we get to play a game. We get to play, you know, we get to play against someone else. And so for us to keep coming out so slow, I don't know if it's just young guys overthinking, but, you know, there's no excuse then for, for Baycott and Garrison and Leakey. So I'm not, I'm not really sure I can give you an answer as to why uh, the starting lineup change uh, to try to kickstart things, perhaps. That's something coaches obviously done in the past and, and shuffle things up. I think a lot of eyes are, are right now focused on maybe swapping Leaky out of there. And uh, I understand he's struggling offensively and with shot selection. He still does a lot of the, the intangible things very well. And you know, I'm, I'm getting texts during the game from my dad and, and – other fans of Carolina and they're like, Leaky's got to sit, Leaky's got to sit. It was like, yeah, but then when Kerwin's in there and Puffer in there, yeah, they both, you know, especially Kerwin made shots today and Puff made his floater, but they miss box outs, they miss rotations, they lose their man. They do the things that freshmen do on the other end of the ball where you can rely on Leaky. So look, I understand he's struggling. He's not playing very well, certainly offensively, but he still does contribute defensively. Uh, am I, by no means am I satisfied with how he's playing. Uh, but just understand that's why he's going to continue to play those minutes because you can rely on him and, and trust him, for a better way to put it, on the other end of the ball. And uh, go back and watch Puff's defensive possessions. Watch some of Kerwin's. Um, they're just freshmen. They're going to make those mistakes. So there's a little bit of that. But uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he shuffled it up. Um, we'll see. But we can't, especially when we get in the conference, we can't keep starting games, spotting teams 10, 12, 15-point leads. It's, it's – uh, is you just put yourself in such a difficult position to have to fight all the way back for the entire game. Yeah, that's the thing. If if crowds were involved, and that's one benefit for this team for 2020, there are no crowds. But if you get down – say you go to state and you get down 15-2 to two in Raleigh, <laughs> and these young guys have never yeah. experienced. So that's a good thing they've got going. But you're right. You can't keep doing it. It's not going to keep – it's not going to work out. I mean, Iowa – in Texas are different animals than they'll see a lot this year. But it's an interesting take. And your thought on, like, who who would you switch out? Because somebody tweeted back at me and said, Baycott needs to sit in favor of Dayron. Mm, I don't know if I can mm, sit. Baycott was very – no, Baycott was very good tonight. He was active. He played hard. I mean, he had, what, 14 and 8. Uh, he had that monster block shot. He, no. 
That's yeah. not it. It's just they, it's just collectively that five doesn't have mojo when they start the game for whatever reason that is, you know. So it's you know to me it's not necessarily oh if we swap out this one guy all of a sudden it's it's that group collectively has to start the game with a little more attentiveness. Um, but I think the bigger thing it, it happens at the beginning of the game, but it's really it's true throughout all forty minutes. It is hard for us to score. It's just that we just don't get that many easy baskets. We don't get out in transition nearly enough. And so we're, we're constantly in the half court against a set defense. And we don't have the ability to score from the perimeter easily, right? So we're all hoping the ball goes inside and our big guys can create and it goes inside or out and then somebody can make a shot. Kerwin did tonight, but we've shot the ball very poorly all year. Caleb, who is one of your creators, has shot the ball poorly all year. RJ got hurt, right? So he didn't play very much in the second half. But because we didn't turn it over as much, we were able to eventually get to them on the glass, get them in foul trouble, and just getting shots up on the rim allowed us to get the offensive rebound and put the ball back up and in or at least get to the free throw line. Whereas in in games earlier this season, 17, 18, 20 turnovers – you know, and we talked a lot about missing the front end of one and ones or missing two free throws are also turnovers. We had a lot of that. We took, we, we reduced that today and we were able to score a little bit more. Yep. Second half, Carolina, 10 offensive rebounds in the second half alone and only five turnovers. And they outscored Kentucky 41 to 25 to win the game. And folks need to, that are questioning Baycott, need to look at the season stats. 74% from the field, 71% from the free throw line. And like you mentioned, if he's engaged and does that on the defensive end, that chase down block, that guy's probably been the most impressive person on the team for me this year, especially seeing how he struggled last year. Um, looking at Kerwin Walton, uh, and this is – we talk about struggle to score. Carolina doesn't have a wing, a dynamic wing on the roster. They just don't. And – but Kerwin Walton, if he can hit spot-up shots and be able to take one dribble and slide to his left and hit it, I mean, that could be a game-changer for North Carolina. If he can step up to do that or if, you know, if Puff Johnson can be that guy, I mean, that's a, that's, they got to have that to have success this year. No question. Yeah, it was great to see him shoot with confidence. I, candidly, I thought there was probably two, maybe three more he could have pulled that he, he hesitated a little bit on. Uh, but you're going to do that as a freshman. Uh, but you're right. I mean, our, our most dynamic wing player really is when Caleb is at the two, to be mm -hmm. candid, right? You know, when he moves off the ball, at least his ability to slash or attack the basket gives us some athleticism in that spot because Leakey's not providing it. Um, but there's look, there's no question. We, we struggle to shoot the ball from the outside. So um, you saw in the very first game, Kerwin came off the bench before Puff, right? So in practice, all through the preseason, Kerwin beat Puff out. That's what, that's what that tells you, right? And he is slowly getting more and more minutes, whether it's taking minutes from Playtech or taking some Maliki's minutes, but he's starting to play more and more, which to me means he's doing it in practice. He was obviously uh, recruited as and known to be a shooter, which he showed us today. But he's obviously doing well enough in the other parts of the game that coach trusts him to put him in. He really made those mistakes, right? But he, he has earned through his practice getting these minutes in, in, in real time. And today was the reason – or today was the time that he finally showed us why, right? He's earned coach's trust more so than Puff has to date. Um, 
and it was just great to see him rip a couple. You know, that's his reputation. So we're starved for it. Yeah, absolutely. That that, that is, Carolina is starved for somebody that can hit some shots from the outside. Dewey, I thought the defense um, was solid in the second half. If you look at Kentucky's performances there in the second half, they Kentucky's bad. I mean, but to your point, they have great athletes, but they're not great at no. basketball. Um, no. I thought Carolina's defense in the second half especially was probably the difference. We scrambled better. Uh, we, we they don't they don't shoot the ball as well as some other teams we've played against. But uh, I thought we hugged on corner shooters a little bit better and funneled funneled penetration to our bigs. Um, and even though certainly in the first half they made a number of kind of pull up shots, floaters in the in the lane, I was okay with those because we were running guys off the three point line and making them make those tougher ten to fifteen footers, which they then just missed almost all of them in the second half, right? Their field goal percentage in the second half was dramatically worse. And uh, I, I would guess we out-rebounded them in the second half. I know we didn't for the game, but my guess would be for what we did in the second half. And um, Kentucky's problem is they don't have a true point guard. They don't have somebody that can get them into their flow, into their sets. Um, and so it's just kind of, hey, this time I'm going to take it kind of thing. And even though Kentucky plays that way, the dribble drive, they kind of just let guys go. Uh, they're less talented and they're less, they have less shooters this year, but they are big and athletic and long. Uh, so it wasn't easy to cover them. Uh, just a different dynamic. I mean, think how different they were to cover than Iowa, right? I mean, couldn't have been more polar opposite. And, uh, but I thought fundamentally we did better. There was a possession in the second half where Playtech ran the, the kid who was making shots. What was his name? Um, Mintz, kid who did shoot the ball well. He ran him off the three point line. Uh, Caleb and Playtech had a really good switch. Caleb got beat on penetration, and they just seamlessly switched, and he contested a three. So uh, that stuff should continue to get better. The communication, the rotation should be tighter, uh, and you get that just with more and more games played. Last question for you. Conference season starts this week. I believe at NC State, maybe. Who knows with COVID and all that stuff. But uh, what's the mindset of a player – it's difficult to imagine what they're going through this year, but in a normal year, getting ready for conference to fire up. Yeah, I mean, this is what you come to Carolina for, right? It's, you know, I guess sometimes it's arguable, sometimes it's not, but it's the best conference in basketball. And this is why you come, is to play in these games, in these age-old rivalries, uh, obviously to play in the Duke game. But, you know, for us, the state game, uh, is always a big one. We've talked about it for years on this podcast with how Coach Williams feels about NC State. So his, you know, his fervor and his level is always elevated uh, when we go across town to play the guys in red. So, um, you know, we, we didn't have, you know, a, quote, normal pre-conference schedule where you play four or five or six, you know, quote, cupcakes. You play, the, you know, most of our games have been against high major talent. Absolutely. So the talent level is going to be, you know, on par to what we've been used to already in, in the first month. Um, but it's different. There's just, there's a different feel uh, in terms of the, what, what you see on that other Jersey, but with no fans and all that stuff, it'll just, it'll just be funny. It'll just, it won't be, you make the point, right? It's not Reynolds. It's not, it's not normal state. It's just, you know, we're going to drive 25 minutes and go play at a gym, which is so weird, but that's, that's what it'll be. Yeah, it, that was listening to Kyle Perry. I'm like, he has lost his mind. I mean, he is screaming, and you can hear every word he says. It definitely <laughs> a different dynamic. Uh, yeah, I, it's kind of hard for me to 
judge what's really happening. I just know that Carolina got a much-needed win today against Kentucky, 75-63. Dewey, I appreciate you taking the time, my man. Absolutely. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do averaging 29 and 11. God, shit. What'd it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Four, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.